This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. And with me today is Hans. Hans, how are you doing? Hans, what are you looking at? Hi, you playing good. with your phone during the show? I'm just playing with myself. Oh. During the show. Yes. What, what's his name? Jeffrey Tubin? Tubin's the guy who got fired? <laughs> no, but I, w- I would actually show it, though. I'm not going to hide behind. Oh, yeah. We know you like to background. show it all on cam, yeah. live. Yes. Uh, and yes. we have a special guest to be talking about uh, uh, Roman Polanski's Chinatown and Jack Nicholson's sequel, The Two Jakes. We have Anthony Cisco on the show today. Hey. How are you doing today? Even though I already asked you this only minutes ago. I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. These films were your pick. I thought, all right, Chinatown's a pretty good choice. It's a movie I watched uh, probably most recently a couple of years back. It's certainly a movie that... Uh, feels like one of the classics for its time, for the 1970s, one of the all-time iconic films of that decade. Los Angeles, 1937. There are lots of guys like J.J. Gittes. They're easy to find, if you want to find them. Mr. Gittes, have we ever met? Well, no. Never? Never. Since you agree with me that we've never met before, you must also agree with me that I've never hired you to do anything, certainly not spy on my husband. I don't get tough with anyone, Mr. Gittes. My lawyer does. You do your job. And sometimes you find the answers to questions that should never be asked. Or you find out what happens to people who ask them. Hold it tonight, kitty cat. You're a very nosy fellow, kitty cat, huh? You know what happens to a nosy fellow? I dislike the word cheat. Did you have affairs? Mr. Giddies. Did he know about it? you when your husband died you were seeing someone too for very long i don't see anyone for very long mr giddens it's difficult for me mr giddens you're dealing with a disturbed woman who just lost her husband i don't want to take an advantage of think as an adult it was different from my my first initial viewing why i why i think it's important or i don't know what it what what stayed with me was the sort of horror that happens at the end and how it's abrupt and i remember just being really disturbed about how that movie ends and and also not being able to understand what's going on throughout the whole movie. And then as an adult, it's a really good example. It's a good metaphor of, of power, of how power works and how you as just a man try to go up against it, no matter what it is, either it's at your, your local, your job, or you're trying to get something done in the community, working with some municipality. There's always 
this figure and it's a, and behind that figure is like this grotesque you know shit that that you can't yeah. see you can't know about it is one of the great i mean it's not really a conspiracy film but it is a conspiracy film and i think it's one of the all-time um great fictional examples of that that kind of illustrates that how that works and that's kind of what you're getting into here um hans had you seen chinatown before our show this evening i i think i have a nod the full movie i think i had just seen scenes whenever it was playing on tv or or something but that part caught me completely off guard i was not expecting it at all that reveal at the end uh so it was definitely a shock and definitely kind of like a, a wake up because there was there was a little bit of a lull before that happened in the movie and then that just slaps you in the face and changes everything completely uh so i i thought i had seen it before but the fact that it hit me like that, I, I, I guess I just had seen just uh, scenes of it, not the full thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I feel like the 1970s really started to usher in that that uh, use of having an abrupt death or abrupt violence that you typically wouldn't expect in films during that time. Chinatown was made in what, 1972? Was it the 70s? 1975? Four? <laughs> yeah. Should we run a fact check before the 74, show? 74. 74. 74. Fade Dunaway's fade at the end of the film uh, is something that catches you off guard, and it's it, again, it's not something well, that was, I think, common for movies of the time. Uh, I'm more talking about the reveal that she. Oh, that she was. Uh, that she. Was, yeah. Uh, okay. That it was old boy. That she kind of reveals, boy. but kind of reveals, but not really. But she does. You know, she doesn't say it out loud, but you know, we know what he did sister and daughter (laughs) yeah 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 so that 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 bit was kind of i thought he was i I also thought that the dad actor was john houston from the monsters (laughs) i thought he was fred guinney so i was like oh no fred guinney (laughs) hold on his name is fred guinn not fred guinney whatever (laughs) you know who i'm talking about he's dead who cares they're all dead but yeah (laughs) but yeah I thought it was him, and I was like, oh, fucking Herman. No. He <laughs> doesn't even look like him. John, John Houston is one of the all-time great uh, American film directors. He's a perfect creep in this movie. Just his delivery, as, as an actor, he is outstanding in this film. And it's just like the literal embodiment of a monster. He's just, he's just so reptilian in, in yeah. Chinatown. He's Even very, when he gets shot, he barely reacts. He's just he like, just goes, ah. <laughs> he's like, mm. <laughs> barely bothered. That's so. That's such a good. That's such a good example of this like monster and this. You, it's, he's unbeatable. The way he grabs her, I don't. And he, I don't know if he grabbed her by the pussy, but it looks like he grabs her in a moment, and he's like, "Come on, like you know, she's my daughter too," and she just freezes up and can't move, and even a bullet won't stop this monster. It's such a good, he just lumbers through. He's just like, just the way he, his physicality, it's probably because he's an old guy too, but he's really tall, he's hunched over. And his kingly manner, like he's a king. He's just like, mm, sit down, come on. He, the dude said, get it, get, get us. And then the next scene, he's like, Mr. Getz. Like he keeps calling him Mr. Getz, right? To fuck with him. Just master manipulation. Just the, well, also the, the way that he revealed what was going on he was just like yeah well that's happening and 
So what? What are you going to do? He doesn't have a care in the world. It's it's that sort of attitude. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think about Jack Nicholson in this film? I'm a big fan of uh, Nicholson as an actor. And right before this, he had, I think, really gotten to the mainstream as a result of Easy Rider. And this is where they were essentially trying him out as a leading man in films. What, what did you think of his characterization? I think, for me, he's my favorite actor ever. I mean, he's, well, you know, yeah, that's kind of big. But, like, he, I think so. Because, um, well, in this role in particular, he's way more toned down than he really kind of ever is. This is a subdued performance. I will say he starts his career, obviously, less over the top than if we fast forward to 1988 Jack Nicholson. Or if you see him in well, The Witches of Eastwick, where he's really just hamming it up and being... Like a like a, a a little dwarf, a little rambunctious dwarf with messed up hair, sexually harassing Cher and Susan Sarandon. Uh, well, Hans. at the beginning, at the beginning, he he is a little bit of that though. When he's telling his Chinese joke, mm. he's very he's very cuckoo's nest, Jack Nicholson. But he definitely tones it down a lot for the rest of the movie. Uh, you know how I feel about follicle impaired leading man i'm a fan uh and his hairline is horrendous in this in this movie uh so i was a big fan of that uh the fact that he's like the the handsome leading man and he looks like that uh but yeah he's great uh very toned down from what you usually get uh from him i guess later in his career but uh definitely uh, uh someone that can carry a movie by himself uh, i i don't think the performances by anyone else were bad particularly but i think that he himself just drives the story uh, by the way that he plays the character uh, and gives like a different dimension to the usual, you know, serious detective guy. Uh, he has like a little bit of more personality than, than just, uh, you know, someone that you would find in a noir movie. That's the thing about Nicholson, especially in this film, where you can give him the most dry, boring character and it will still be completely interesting and energetic and funny because of just who Jack Nicholson naturally is. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately is we don't really seem to have too many actors that are like that. Everybody really got into the whole Daniel Day-Lewis, I'm going to go method, I want to embody this character, I want to take it right off the page and be that for this film because right. somehow that's more, uh, I guess, noble in acting. Um, you, you have a lot of players in Hollywood that are trying to do that sort of thing. And really who, I mean, who, who else is there? There's DiCaprio. DiCaprio is maybe the one big guy that's, and really, you know, you question if that's his authentic self or not. Cause a lot of that is like Jack Nicholson for, for every yeah. performance. If you check out Wolf of Wall Street or something, it doesn't really feel like authentic Leo, but maybe enough of that in there, you know? Yeah. Shia LaBeouf does something weird where it's half Shia LaBeouf and half method. Like if you take a look at Whoever a movie like playing. Fury, like where he's playing like yeah. a you know the Christian soldier guy, like that's clearly like he's doing something different there that's distinct. But it's Shia LaBeouf. He's inserting Shia yeah. LaBeouf in that, and it's a weird dichotomy of things. So maybe maybe that I, I I don't know off the top of your head, Anthony. Do you can you think of any actors that are working today that might fit that Jack Nicholson? mold of the past i know exactly and and, and it might be because he just kind of looks like him reminds me of walton goggins oh, oh walton goggins right. is always yeah. fantastic yeah that's actually a very Big good fan, yeah. i i every time i see him i'm like man if they ever made a movie about china like the making of chinatown or it would just he would be a perfect fit for that for, for playing jack he, he actually apparently ben affleck is working on this 
Yeah, prequel. Yeah, no, no, he's it's it's a adaptation of this book I started reading, but I haven't read a book in like four years. So I was trying to read it for this and I got like, <laughs> got like five pages in. It's this book called Chinatown and like the end of the new Hollywood. But the emphasis of that book is just the end of the new Hollywood because it's it's it starts off before Chinatown and it's like, you know, Roman Polanski across the table and he says i do i don't want to know i you said this book is chinatown i want it to just be chinatown and then throw in the other shit but but i mean yeah walton goggins i think is a guy who he has that natural charisma and he's actually really good when he's quiet and he's toned down but he can go up he can like yeah i i I completely agree that that's a very good call and he's also uh an underrated actor as far as that goes he doesn't have the a-level star power that he probably deserves especially by comparison of his peers go ahead hans it's because he's also follicle impaired right (laughs) his hairline is also horrendous and he didn't go the billy zane route where he was just shave and wear rugs on his head um i i I would think well i guess and he's just someone that i mention a lot but matt's nicholson is someone like that to me yeah he's someone that can can definitely go from well something like the hunt to that new movie what's it called the one where he's just drunk all the time I just saw Another it yesterday. And it, what did you think of that movie? Great. Yes. It was great. It was really enjoyable. And I mean, I just like seeing him on anything. I, I just think that he always brings it, even if it's a piece of shit like Polar. Did you oh, see Polar? Oh. Where he plays like a superhero or something. It's a Netflix production. It's, it's, it's a fake not good. superhero video game movie with uh, him and the what, who's that Australian or British comedian that, that dresses up as a woman, the fat guy with puffy Eddie lips? Izzard? No, not Eddie Izzard. No. No. Uh, Matt Lucas? <laughs> Maybe. I, I don't know. He's very repulsive to look at. That's all I know. Um, but he, he, I feel like he always brings it, whatever it is. Even, you know, Casino. No, is it Casino Royale that he's in? He's yep. the villain? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so uh, he would be someone. I guess the fact that he's Danish kind of takes a little bit from it. Yeah, like, I, think, I think when you take a look at foreign actors, especially if they speak with a thick accent, you kind of disregard them in, in that way. Uh, but no, I think Mads Mikkelsen's another great great call as far as that goes um i mean not to jump wholly into the two jakes but you get a different jack nicholson by the time that movie is um put into production and starts filming uh what do you know about uh i mean if you know anything about that why do you think that jack nicholson chose to direct that film that seems like an odd choice uh it seems like oftentimes when you have a, a property like that it might be a last-minute call, or um, somebody else is involved, and then the original director falls off, and then somebody who's actually familiar with the production will will get in and try and take the initiative and steer everything in that direction. I don't know if Jack Nicholson had directed anything in the 80s. He did do a film in the 70s called, I believe, uh, Drive, he said, and uh, a couple of other like small BBS productions uh, during that, that time period, but it's, it seems like he for the most part, had given up on that by the time he made it as an actor in Hollywood. Yeah, he, um, I feel like that too. I, when I watch that movie, I feel like, if it feels like a, a one of those HBO movies that they used to have in the 90s. It hmm. looks like it, it where it's kind of cheapy, it's kind of um, thrown together. The lighting is inconsistent. 
especially during one of the most important scenes in his office when he's talking to uh, right before he says Madeline Stowe and he says the line like, get on your knees, put your ass up. Yeah. And don't leave until I tell you like, what the fuck? <laughs> anyway. that, was, that, that felt very out of nowhere and not in line with anything. Uh, that felt like Jack Nicholson just being Jack Nicholson, you know? Um, <laughs> but that whole movie is like, to me, it was like, we have investors. They've been trying to make this movie for 10 years, and you need yeah. to get this fucking thing done or we're going to get sued. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to get a clash action lawsuit from all these investors who've been who've been waiting for this movie. So we got to get this thing fucking done. And Nicholson was probably just like, all right, I'll do it, but it's got to have golf, and there's got to be like sex scenes with every chick in it or at least some <laughs> sexual kink going on. That's all I get out of it. And why is, why, why is Jake Giddies golfing? And he belongs to the Wilshire Country Club. Why? At the end of Chinatown, the only thing that, for me, if you're going to do a sequel, it's like Jake works in an alley somewhere, and he's a beaten, broken, drunken man, and he and then he gets this opportunity to redeem himself. Instead, it's like, no, he's actually good. Not only is he good, he's better. He's living in a nice place. He's fat because he just eats all the time. Yeah. He's, he can't even wear a three-piece suit because he's is so it- fat. He's got to wear like the baggy... Is it because they were thinking of like a trilogy or something like that, or like a series of films with this character? Well, it, it's kind of interesting because yeah, I think a trilogy. Yeah, it, it, I feel like that was maybe something that they had in mind. I mean, really, back in back in the seventies, eighties, nineties, nobody's really thinking trilogy, right? That's that's a recent phenomenon that came about with the, the superhero films, where they're thinking many films in advance. At the time, you're lucky to get a hit, and then maybe. And even then, it wasn't really in fashion to do sequels, especially to respected dramatic properties. Um, so this was kind of out of nowhere. It was in production for a long time. Uh, and I Did just you read, read I just, re- I just read t- took funny? a look at yeah. Uh, yeah, some of the backstory <laughs> on this movie. Uh, yeah. Apparently, John Huston was set to direct for a period of time. I mean, this was not wow. just a... I mean, it, it seems like it was a clumsily thrown-together movie, but I don't think it was in the preparation to that. I think once they got the cameras rolling, that's when things just kind of lost even footing because they didn't know exactly what to do with it. Because you have the original screenwriter of the movie. I noticed that uh, in the opening credits. And uh, Robert Evans is also the producer on this film as well. So you have a lot of the original money, men, and talent from that first Chinatown movie. At this point, Roman Polanski is hiding out in Europe Evading some charges, some some dastardly <laughs> charges, uh, and I think it was just a matter of trying to find the right director, and they didn't, and so Jack Nicholson probably picked up the pieces there. Well, did you did you read about the the well? Robert Evans wanted to act in the movie. Yeah. Did he? Uh, I didn't know this. Hold on. Yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so let me read what it says right here. So he says that he wanted to act in the movie with. Uh, Jack Nicholson, but the director at the time, or no, uh, Towney, Robert Towney, or Town, however you say his name. Robert Town. He, he didn't really trust his acting ability. Wow, and then sure. there was a huge deal, a uh, big argument that uh, exploded or whatever, because Evans didn't want to get a 1940s style haircut because he had plastic surgery scars. That we'll be <laughs> now, you Google Robert Evans. He looks like, you know, that old guy from uh, Uncut Gems at the end of the movie? Yeah. That, oh, yeah, that is like a leather-skinned, very well, yeah. Eric so he looks like that. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. The guy who looks like no, Mickey no, no, Rourke no. if he didn't get his face yes. mashed up. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I know yeah, who yeah. you're talking about. Ah, uh, geez, that guy. He's a, he's a real character. Uh, that is, that's a very funny... That kind of reminds me of... It seems like just Warner Brothers producers had unchecked power back in the 90s, especially. It reminds me of the... Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Kevin Smith story about... What was it? John Peters or Peter Goober, one of those guys being like, all right, this is what we got to do with Superman. Superman, he's not going to fly. Superman, he's uh, he's going to be he's going to wear a black suit and uh, we're going to have a giant metallic spider in that. And then it gets into Wild Wild West. That's what it reminds me of. It's just people people with money saying this is what I want in your thing and it's going to go in there and that's how it's going to be or else there ain't going to be a film. Yeah, yeah, that movie. I was when I was watching Chinatown. I, I was watching Chinatown today, but I kept thinking about Two Jakes. I was like, it's like they went from Die Hard, and the sequel was Live Live Free or Die Hard. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it, it went right from part one to part four. And yeah. it's all, <laughs> like, why is there's a scene where where Giddy's is blown up, literally blown up in an explosion because he's smoking near a oil well. And he does this like flip in the air and it's in slow motion. And he's just, he's getting his ass kicked worse than he did when he was younger. And you're like, this old man, he's getting his head thrown into his own bar. And there's a grenade scene. He throws a grenade in the safe and it blows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, threw it all out. They, they threw everything out. And it's like you said, it's like, it feels like someone was like, I want, what, what happens if Jake gets a grenade? Who's blow him up? What happens if he gets blown up? Yeah. It's just like, a number you. of unrelated scenarios try it, like that is mashed into a plot that is pretty boring. It's just like ah, you know, it's a, it's a scam. It's all a big scam. And Harvey Keitel, Harvey Keitel is so wasted in uh, the two Jakes. <laughs> it, it's it's very unfortunate to see him just being subdued and acting poorly. It, I I, I don't understand the. Uh, what happened with, with so much talent involved. And again, I mean, it's not an uncompetent, incompetent film. I do think that, especially for Jack Nicholson, if you take a look at his earlier films, they're kind of a mess. They're very unfocused. Uh, even if they're trying to be like artsy or experimental, it's a, it's a standard like studio film, you know, but with a lot of bizarre choices, given the context of the movie, you know, if it was just the two Jakes, if there was not Chinatown to precede it, I think these things would be less eyebrow raising maybe, but yes. because of that, it, it just seems like what happened with this. Yeah. And the, um, what you're talking about to, in terms of him being a good filmmaker or like a competent filmmaker, there were some choices in there that he uses visually. There's like a kaleidoscopic scene. There's some things in there that you're like, Whoa, this is a good choice. This was an interesting choice. As, as a visual choice, just a visual little thing I'm going to throw in there. There's certain stuff with his hands. It'll, it'll edit on a hand, like landing on somewhere. So he's, he's definitely competent as an, but as a uh, filmmaker. And, but the fact that you know that there was some talk of like, I have to put, I, we have to go golfing. There's got to be one of the days that we're shooting that we just spend on a golf course and Harvey and I are going to play like nine. We're just going to do it. So, you know, bring that. Here's what we'll do, Harvey. Come. I'll bring some scotch and we'll have some blow. We'll smoke the blow. It seems like. 
Like we'll do the show. We'll do the shot. It'll just be like and then the rest of the day. We'll just get hammered and play golf. And and that's it. That's what it feels like. We're just having fun. And and like you said, it was like if you didn't have to, if they did, if they never brought up, uh, was her Catherine, uh, Catherine, what's her, whatever the last, the girl from the last movie. If they yeah. never bring her up, they don't talk plot at Chinatown. And it could be something interesting. It was like that movie, um, Doctor Sleep or whatever, the sequel to this show. Oh, Doctor Sleep, a favorite of ours. Painting. It was. I know that. I know. I know. It, 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 but I actually <laughs> when it was nothing to do with the shine, it's like a 90s movie and some Clive Barker shit with like, you know, if you just stuck with the, the cult and the kids getting killed, it's like, cool, I could stick with that. But the fact that they have to go back to China, right? And they got to get that brand in there. It was just it completely it completely takes away from, the, from that experience. But at the end of the two Jakes last night, it's like nine thirty. I went to bed. I was like, I'm too. I can't. That killed me. That killed my soul. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, something that I, you know, in in terms of referencing the uh, the previous film, did you like the moment where it's uh, Jack Nicholson? He's talking to uh, some of you know the. Uh, I think he was speaking to the cops. And somebody says, like, incest. And uh, someone's like, what? What is that? Incest. You know, when, uh, when, a, when, a, when a family member sleeps with another family member and then Jack Nicholson is, like, looking in the camera like Jim Halpert on The Office. That was, that was so <laughs> that was, we go, what? This, this feels so <laughs> out of place. Remember that? It's an, it's an Easter yeah. egg. We're referencing Chinatown. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> good. Marvel. Oh, that's awful. Right yeah. Oh, that, that was the, the, uh, the real like Nick Fury at the end of Iron Man moment of the two jokes. <laughs> the Joker card being flipped over. Uh, let's yeah. let's well, talk. It, sounds, it really sounds like I didn't miss anything from not watching an over two hours movie that I, w- I was really not looking forward to. It's a, it's a long, you... enormous film for no reason at all. You can make a very good 90 minute movie out of that and they chose not to they just kept it rolling perfect perfect I, yeah you told me it was 90 minutes so i was like all right i'll get through this because i lie to you han so you watch the movie <laughs> so you stay away two hours 17 i was like oh, <laughs> oh shit. and this is supposed to be bad too ah yeah <laughs> six minutes longer than the original the original is like two 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 hours and 11 minutes and this was 217 like you said for no reason for no it's not even like artistic indulgence it's no. just because it, it's entire studio fair it, it's pointless um let's uh, let's talk more about chinatown we we got right into the two jakes and i feel like there's a lot that we can unravel with the uh production of chinatown um how how i mean when did polanski get accused it must have taken place yep. during this time because he was friends with nicholson and the the act occurred at nicholson's estate when uh, he was on vacation or whatever, Roman Polanski was house sitting. So, I'm I'm thinking it probably was around the time of Chinatown, and then he wound up facing criminal charges not long after, and then had to beat it. Do you know anything about that? Did you pick up anything interesting from the the Chinatown New Hollywood book? I didn't get that far into it, but but um, 
I think that yeah, it definitely was was after this. It's three years after, yeah. And it, it's up. and it's very indicative. Uh, oh, three years after, it's very indicative of what LA is like. And ter- just they're making and and like the, the them making this movie. I don't know. Roman Polanski's like he's like Danny DeVito. He's kind of like a, a almost a bad luck, good luck charm kind of thing. Like you get a lot out of it, but like he but he's just chaos like he's just it's, it's everywhere he goes there's just some kind of magic shit that follows him and you just have to so it's always like really short guys that have this kind of weird black yeah, say, are you just like lumping all uh height impaired men together in the same bin they just look yes. magical they're, under five, four. they're technically not midgets but they're just short enough to to they're just short enough to be magical. They're like they're they're very magical people. <laughs> yeah, and, they have that energy. Yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. lacking the big butts, but they're close. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the little fingers. I didn't. I didn't know he was so short. And then he shows up. In he this. shows up in the movie. Like, oh, look at this. Look at this little guy. Mm. Great actor. He's a great actor. Yeah, he's he's, he's pretty great. believable. He's he's great at his art. He's a piece of shit. But like. <laughs> His filmmaking is great, and his acting is always at least you know capable. At I least don't know. Maybe he just thought she was another short person like him. You know, you get confused <laughs> at that height. Everybody's yeah. the same to you. You know, uh, what do you guys think about Polanski as a director in general, uh, in terms of his other other work? I, I I love him. I love him as a as a as a director. He is so visual. He's so he's so like in the school of Hitchcock in a way like where where you could tell the influence you can tell like he's really into visual storytelling maybe he watched a lot of silent films growing up or something but especially with his experience from from the Holocaust and being able to draw that type of horror in every single thing that he makes from Rosemary's Baby Repulsion to at the end of this movie Chinatown also at the end of the pianist or not the end of the pianist but like I, like I guess the whole pianist but the uh <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing but when he gets to the pianist it's a little more like um uh it's more of him sort of working his shit out that that he experienced but but you see that his work is very um it's very I, I don't I, I don't know a physical thing. It's it's very um, visceral. You feel it, uh, and mm. when he shows violence, it's it's very real. It's very real. Like you can feel like Faye Dunaway is really getting slapped in this. And well, she did yeah. apparently. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's she's got those crazy eyes. You know, yeah. like tells you a lot about his commitment, I guess. But yeah, well, back in the seventies, think... you could get away with a lot. I know uh, on the set of Kramer vs. Kramer, Dustin Hoffman would uh, mock Meryl Streep about her recently dead husband. What's his Ooh. name from The Godfather and all the classic films of the seventies? He was, I think, he was in Deer Hunter as well. Uh, John, John, John... Hughes, Malcolm? yeah, John, John Hughes of Denver? the Breakfast Club. That was John Denver. <laughs> <laughs> John she Williams. was married to the big bopper that's john that's... john cena <clears throat> uh any anyway he would make very cutting remarks about her recently dead husband he would push her around 
knock her around a little bit before takes because she wouldn't be upset enough, according to him, according to his personal opinion. Uh, there's a lot of nightmare Dustin Hoffman stories as far as that goes. John Cazale. Yeah. Yep. Ah, I was close. Great act. <laughs> would have never, would have never guessed that one. Uh, <laughs> something Italian, John Italian something. He kind of looks like a sick mixture of Pacino and Robert De Niro. Like, <laughs> like if you got HIV, like yeah, he was a very good actor. He's in Dog Day Afternoon. He's in, he's in tons of films. Uh, succumbed to an early demise, unfortunately. Yeah, cancer, cancer. He he looked like he was um like the, he was born too soon or something. Yeah, premature for certain. Yeah. Um, Wait, so Polanski left in the 80s or 70s? Is it right? Oh, so he's just been gone from the States and he's just made movies in Europe or whatever it is that he's at with American actors? Not Ryan. always with American actors. The last uh, American production that he had overseas that I can remember was Carnage with Christoph Waltz, John C. Riley, and. Um, was it Naomi Watts might have been in it or uh, it was a, it was a self-contained single setting film. It was from 2011. Kate Winslet. That's what I was thinking of. And Jodie Foster. This came out and it felt kind of like a stage play where it was just the characters delivering dialogue. Very my dinner with Andre ish. It doesn't mm. leave the apartment at all. Uh, and I thought that was fine. It was all right. But I haven't seen anything that has come out since apparently he had a movie released in 2019 called An Officer and a Spy. And I don't know if that made its way over to the United States, but it did premiere at Venice. It was um, it's about the Dreyfus affair that happened in France um, where this Jewish guy was blamed for some coup or something. Oh, and it, God. It, yeah, yeah, it's actually... Do you have anything else, Roman? We understand that you live through it. <laughs> the it's been 70 years. <laughs> the Dreyfus Affair is very, is very important to the anti-Semitic trope, like the story of anti-Semitism. This is like, because it's, I forget what year it, the Dreyfus Affair takes place in. Yeah, 1894. And, it, and so already, like, um, the... Uh, anti-Semitism is building up and this is in France and he gets blamed and he almost gets like, uh, I think he almost gets put to death, but then some lawyer comes up, you know, it's one of those kind of stories, but it's a very important sort of, uh, it's a very important incident in the history of anti-Semitism and also leading up to what happens in world war two, because during that time, like, and, and, and what happens at this with the Dreyfus affair and then afterwards is like this this kind of popularity of being anti-semitic like where, where Jews aren't allowed, and America it's happening too where it's like Jews aren't allowed to be in country clubs they're not allowed to so it this is one of these moments in terms of history where it's leading into it's one of these sparks that leads into something that uh, I, I heard it was actually really good the movie and uh, but um but but it'll it won't get any distribution here because of it's just like they won't distribute Woody Allen's movies through Amazon. Even yeah, he, he well, I mean, somebody put it out. I did see an advertisement for the Timothy Chalamet uh, film. What, what is it? A rainy day in somewhere New York, New York. Paris. I don't know Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that 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 whole Woody Allen debacle. 
not the Woody Allen debacle, but the one with that film uh, is very funny to me in that Timothy Chalamet disavowed his, his work on the production. He gave away his salary. And then Woody Allen in his biography, like specifically outs him as like sending a text being like, it'll be good for my career. I don't actually mean this. Like he just throws uh, throws him uh, under the bus yeah. back. That's, that's what do you expect? Awesome. What do you expect from a Hollywood young guy that you know sucks? Who has been groomed <laughs> since birth to be like the perfect actor, to be the perfect Alfred, model actor. That Alfred Dreyfus story is really interesting uh, because I don't know if you guys have seen it, uh, but in social media there's a picture of a Jew rubbing his hands, and I think it's based on Alfred Dreyfus. I don't know if you guys know that. <laughs> I was thinking about that the whole time you oh were talking, and I was just giggling to myself. Just like, it's that guy, and he wasn't funny at all, so I'm just going to be quiet for the next five minutes. I'm glad you didn't have a Pepe background for, for this episode, like you did the bonus. Oh, well, no, it, and it's used. That is actually used in a lot of uh, white nationalists or alt-right. Uh, Still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the Dreyfus Affair is like, I don't know because I'm not into I'm not into white nationalism. Uh, uh, surprise, surprise! But the oh, but it's I very know, trendy. It's very hip yeah, right very now. Trend, very trendy. They like right. to talk about the Dreyfus affair and then share baked Alaska videos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but 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 apparently it's really popular with them of being like, yeah, you see the manipulation going on. It's all part of the plan. And, uh, tweet a, a J with a question mark. Yeah. <laughs> Big if true, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that somebody made a counter uh, counter meme recently with all like the heads of these corporations with like O'Donoghue as the last name or uh, Hanrahan or just how the Irish ha- have actually pivoted in a, a a massive platform of like CEO positions. Anyway, <laughs> now, what do you guys what do you guys think of the cinematography of this Chinatown thing? Because uh, Chinatown thing, this movie uh, at the beginning, uh, it felt very dreamy to me. Mm-hmm. The colors that they use, the lighting. I don't know if it's just because it's like a neo noir where it's kind of lit like a noir movie, but in color. Uh, but it, it kind of felt very dreamlike, and the fact that they used a lot of wide angles with things, so the characters were very small in a lot of the like the under the bridge and and all of those scenes. Uh, so it felt well, not only that this is supposed to be in the 30s, right? Uh, so it's not only the the period of that, but I, I feel like the, the cinematography just being very, very dreamlike uh, and going along with the music added like a a, a different layer of uh, I, I don't know, I guess. Uh, goodness to, to the film, where where it elevated a little bit more than than you know if it was not done in that in that way. Yeah, it did. It did absolutely reinforce the atmosphere that Polanski. I mean, it looked like it was masterfully crafted that way to have that dreamy, dreamlike feeling as you're watching the movie. Something else I also noticed uh, that's also very fitting for the the time period is the the camera work being uh, shoddy at times, especially right at the end where you have like a very jarring, like clearly a mistake. That was not an intentional cut over to Jack Nicholson, but everybody's acting so well that you wind up using that cut. Anyway, you sacrifice that, that moment of keeping uh, the artificial nature away from the viewer for uh, a very like ragged camera. Well, it's because pivot. normal people don't notice though. It's just us fucking autistic nerds that notice shit like that. No, I've been, so? I've watched movies. 
I've watched movies with people and ruined them, ruined it for them because I notice things like that and say it. They're just like, what are you? I don't even, what? Yeah, it doesn't I register. Know. All the time. All the time. No, th th that movie shot like like in that period of like still, we do a pan scan. We do, it's, 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 it's set up. Uh, but, but at the end, it's interesting because you, you thought, you think it was a mistake. And I thought like, well, this one is this a choice where they went handheld to make it feel like it's it takes you out of that 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 classic feeling of like oh you're safe and like oh. no now we're in the modern era where now we're handheld and now it's janky and now you're like in in that chaotic fray and that's what makes it that that gives it that modern punch because you're you're now off you're you're off of the state you're off of the tripod basically now you're just idiotic shit and this is modern and you're seeing what happens in real life which is it's that documentary style you're seeing what happens in real life it's like no the, the good guy doesn't win and that little girl is just taken away to have whatever horror done to her but i don't know if that was a choice or not it, it, and when you said it was a mistake it never even dawned on me that like yeah maybe it actually maybe they just fucked it up and they were like fucking cut right? we gotta <laughs> i think i think that's a very better and also generous version of that the only reason why i think it's a mistake is cuz he kind of like he's like oh should i should Close i actually go, yeah. pull back but then they don't they just like so it wobbles almost um yeah. yeah i still like it being included in the movie though it's just like things like that do add an extra sense of character to just the way that the movie is as a, as a, you know, as a texture. But I feel like that, that was definitely uh, intended because the movie, the, the way that the, they tell you the story, it, it's kind of uh, slow. Uh, it's kind of revealing a little bit of who the characters are and getting to know them a little bit with the things they do and the way they react to things. But the pace is not frantic at all. And then, when things start getting revealed and we start finding out what's actually happening, that's when the camera becomes that. So yeah. it does add a, uh, a bit, a bit of just becomes everything becomes just a little bit more uh, frantic and more intense. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm sure it was, you know, a, a artistic decision just because of, you know, it's not really used before that happens. And then at the end, everything just becomes tense. And once everything is revealed. Well, it could be both. I mean, that's the thing. It's not mutually exclusive. They might as well. I mean, it's very possible and very likely, as a matter of fact, that they got some clean takes of that and ultimately decided in the edit to apply maybe that meaning to it. Um, a lot of yeah. that is decided in post-production uh, rather than on the set that day. I know that that's at least with with uh, Kubrick, he would he would do just that, where you start to shape the meaning of things in the editing bay as opposed to deciding on the day of, you know, but then, you know, when you have a master like that and Polanski is somebody who I would consider a master filmmaker, you know, sometimes a chair just gets left in the background for a shot and then it disappears in mm -hmm. the next shot. And people think, Oh, he's, he's messing with your head. He's playing yeah. games with you, you know, but in actuality, it's just like, this is a very smart, confident director. That was a mistake, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, someone you know, forgot. Yeah. yeah. Some, yeah somebody, yeah, yeah. a crew member got fired that day over that, but yeah. who, who's to know?
you could see him like being like, no, this is perfect. We have to keep that shot because it makes it. I know it was a mistake, but it's not a mistake because it's so beautiful the way that they panned over. Yeah. It's a fucking that shot. It's like fucking. It's like fucking. <laughs> oh my god! And you know, I've never seen an interview, but you know that that's who he was. Like, I can imagine him in those in those Hollywood parties where they just go to mansions and just get high and just that's him. Yeah, yeah. You know, the little guy in the corner just being really intense about something that doesn't matter. <laughs> it's fucking beautiful. I, fu- I fucking love it. Do you have any more coke? Do you have any more? Because it's fucking great. He's <laughs> just really into it. Yeah. If you slowed that impression down and just like turned it down a couple of octaves, that would be Warner Herzog. <laughs> you have dual impressions. Uh, aside from aside from uh, Chinatown, what, what what is your favorite Roman Polanski movie, Anthony? Um, I have uh, probably Repulsion. Hmm. Repulsion. Um, it just, I think it it, and I, and I know he remember from that book, from the little I read of that book, him being like really hesitant to work in Hollywood. He didn't. He kind of wanted to go back to being to doing something like Repulsion, doing something where he had complete total control. And I feel like that is him at, at his. If you think Hitchcock is like a great like artist, and you think about how much control he actually ends up having in his in his movies, I feel like if Polanski continued on that that road. Uh, Repulsion is a good example of of how he's able to um, every every sort of shot he's able to uh, have control of it. I don't know, just, just, just whether it's the script, the acting. It's a very it's uh, yeah that would probably be one of my favorite. I have this obsession with um, two of his worst movies, which is like The Ninth Gate. And, oh, oh, the Ninth Gate! I completely uh, forgot about that movie. Johnny Depp was in that film, late nineties, I yeah, believe. Yeah. It's been a minute and, and, since I've seen the Ninth Gate or even heard that title. And, and frantic. Hmm. Did you just is the Ninth frantic? Gate? No, I thought uh, I'm not familiar with this frantic. I I initially thought you were talking about the Bill Paxton. Bill was Bill Pullman in that movie, but that's definitely not a Polanski film. That's just kind of a who. It's- is the ninth <laughs> Bill Cosby? Is the ninth <laughs> the ninth gate a remake from the Swedish Ninth Gate? Or am I thinking? No, I'm thinking ninth. Never mind. Seventh Seal. I'm retarded. Ninth gate is with, uh, wow! The, wow! The ninth gate yeah. and the seventh seal. I know. I don't know. I don't know why my brain thought those two were related. Um, yeah, I'm just yeah. I'll just step back. Is, <laughs> uh, and frantic is with Harrison Ford, and yeah. I think this was his first movie after his his exile. Um. It was it was Polanski's first movie after his exile was this like eighties movie with Harrison Ford that is very Hitchcock. It's very like Jimmy uh, Harrison Ford is Jimmy Stewart, and there's this mix up with briefcases, and his wife gets kidnapped, and he's got to find his wife, and he friends a whore, and there's like you know, and then the ninth, it's like it's a sort of almost like a stupid sequel of Rosemary's Baby. Where oh no is that what that is I've never seen it well well Johnny Depp plays like a book dealer and he's in he's into ancient books like real old books and so there's this like Necronomic I don't know there's some kind of book series that he's into and it's and, but the end of it ends up being like he's making a pact with the devil or something but it's super bad but I'm obsessed with his bad movies and then I would say though my favorite 
movie one of my favorite movies the one that really got me into him was the pianist yeah the pianist i think especially for people of our generation was the the first real like major one where he did have i guess what you could consider a comeback in the award circle in the united states uh since that did clean up at the academy awards and adrian brody won best actor that year at the academy awards yeah that movie's fantastic have you ever seen pirates though with walter matthau pirates no yeah, that's a Polanski movie. I just <laughs> that looks fantastic. I'm sure we'll uh, we should cover that on the uh, the next episode of movies, maybe. Um, one that one that I remember enjoying a lot when I watched it was the the Tenant. Oh, the ten- yes, the Tenant's a good horror movie, yeah. and he stars in that. So yeah, it it's one of those movies that just make you feel kind of like that Chinese bookie movie that uh, Casavetes, where it's just everything's kind of dirty and everything's kind of very claustrophobic and. It, I don't know. It's it, I, I I haven't seen it in a, in a while, but I just remember that one. Uh, I I was looking through his filmography, and that one stuck out to me because I just remember enjoying it a lot. That, that's that's know. interesting too that he chose to act as like the star of the movie, not necessarily like later in his career, but you you typically only see that from directors early on because that's what's easiest is just having yourself. Yeah. I can speak from experience. Yep. I, you can as well, Anthony. I know uh, with your series, you're you know. You're handling a lot of the creative of that. So, yeah. And he chose to do that almost at the tail end of the 70s. Uh, it's 1979 for this horror film. Uh, kind of an interesting choice. Did he have much of a career as an actor outside of his own films? I did look at his acting filmography, and I saw that one of his recent acting explorations was Rush Hour 3. He, yeah. he is in Rush Hour 3. which is He's in that, and Max von Sydow is in that. Who's that? From the Seventh Seal, Max von Sydow, and The Exorcist, the older priest oh. from The Exorcist, and Star okay. Wars: The Force Awakens. Yeah, oh right, yes. <laughs> wow. Uh, one of the all-time classic actors, Max von Sydow. He lived forever, and he looked like he was always eighty years old. Yeah, and it's a it's a shame that I think he went out on. Star Wars was that his last? I, I think that might have been his last movie. It was one of his last few. He died shortly thereafter, so very unfortunate. Um, what are you? What are you clicking on? Looking at Hans? You're trying to get well versed on something. Him? I'm. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. I didn't. I don't recognize the name, so I was just looking at this old man. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know who you're talking about now. <clears throat> Rosemary's Baby is probably my favorite outside of Chinatown, just because again it it creates such a good claustrophobic environment uh, in that film. And Cassavetes is great, and it, it's kind of funny that he was kind of revisiting similar concepts from that film in the uh, uh, the Ninth Gate. Was that what it was called? The Ninth, yeah. And, around the same time that there seemed to be a resurgence in that film, because I know there was like a '90s made-for-TV movie. I think it was oh. '90s on Rosemary's Baby, that was a sequel. They loved doing that in the 90s, coming up with a sequel to a classic film for television. They did that with The Birds also, The Birds 2, Land's End, or Lansing End, or some stupid title. It was like a CBS or USA film. There's a film from 76 called Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Rosemary's Baby. Baby. Yeah. And... And then there's also I forgot about this in 2014 that they did a mini series with Zoe, Zoe Saldana, Saldana playing. Yeah, yeah. What was it like? Zachary Quinto was probably in there too somewhere. 
he got involved in all those terrible NBC shows. The slap, the well, because the of the what is it, Ryan Murphy? Right? Was he doing it? I don't know. I'm looking it up, <laughs> but I, like- I, anything like that, anything that's just you know, I'm, we're going to release a sequel to something that came out 50 years before or 20, 10 years before. It's just really shit, and especially when you know they're trying to do some type of cultural commentary by just race switching like that's going to change anything uh i mean i haven't i haven't really seen it i don't know much about it but i i'm sure it's not you know rosemary in the hood you know <laughs> it's not our, our our uh you know apostrophe osemary or anything you know what i mean like no like, she's I'm hold sure on hold on you're doing the same thing as when you like when you're talking to jerry and you're like oh so what about these hip-hop artists i just find you know if these are good because he's half black but he's like the whitest <laughs> black guy he's into like death metal He's into yeah. Varg Vickerness. Um, and you just make that assumption. She's the only black person in that TV movie. I guarantee. Oh. I think it's a white husband even. And she's like, she's very yeah. not hood at all. So. Yeah. So what's the point then? It's what's just, the, what's, what do you mean? What's the point? It's, it's, that wasn't just, the point to begin with. What's the point of just changing the race? Like, okay. Oh, now she's. Uh, uh, you know, interracial couple and why people are evil. You know, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just 2014. You too, could like... you could uh, apply an anti-race mixing thing on there, but against like white people. Because yeah, yeah, husband's white. Yeah. That's like a Jordan Peele. Well, uh, that's just wait- Jordan Peele's just waiting. Mm-hmm. He's waiting to do a remake of Rosemary's Baby, but with white people. Yeah, it's just going to be Get Out just again. Like- yeah. yeah. Just by looking at the cast, there's a, a, an actor called yeah. Stefano Cassetti, and he plays the blue eyed man slash the devil. Like, could you be a little bit more, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, blue eyed devil. It's great. I'm sure uh, he received a lot of awards and a 31% approval rating. Yeah, great. Anyway. You know, what, how, many people, how many people copied Polanski with, with Rosemary's Baby? Like everybody tried to do, even still, they're trying to do a Rosemary's Baby. But they're like, now we're going to show you the fucking baby. And it's CGI. And it costs 10 million bucks yeah. to create this little bubble baby. Yeah, the Blumhouse method. Till the end, here it comes. And they try to create this, this feeling of um, descent into madness. And it never fucking works. They miss like, the point. Yeah, they, they miss the point that everything is psychological that's effective about yeah. that. And they try to just go for the horror itself. And that's something that they have uh, fallen into the trap of doing all those subsequent Exorcist sequels as well. And that's a, that's obviously a far more gruesome film by comparison to Rosemary's Baby, which is way more um, subtle in its approach to, yeah. to frights and horror. You don't see anything. It's all just claustrophobia. People are against you. Paranoia setting in. Is she schizophrenic and crazy? Or is she actually correct to something bad going on here yeah well it's also a thing of you know religion and being afraid of people that you know uh, satanic cults and all those things 1968 i'm sure that was a a huge you know thing that regular people were afraid of trying to do that in they killed his wife it's the manson cult killed it allegedly tim stavers who we've had on thinks that? that roman polanski killed her and it was all it was all done up. I don't know anything about that theory. Maybe there's something to that. I have no clue. But he's also telling me that the Trump video is a deep fake. So 
I, I, but, I have no idea. But I guess it's it's also the reason why uh, there hasn't been any exorcism movie that lives up to the exorcist. Because yeah. when, when those movies came out, there was like a, a lot of uh, what's the um, taboo things with that, right? Where, you know, it's the unknown. We don't know anything. They're just evil and they're going to do something to get you. Now, it's just like, well, if, uh, really? People still believe that? Like, it's a very small part of the population, especially in the States. Now, if you go to Latin America, you can milk that shit. Or if you go to like the the East, I'm sure that you can blend religion a little bit easier and people will believe it more. But trying to do something like that in the States in the 2000s. Right. Uh, you know, you're, 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 you're completely correct because of the fact that, you know, people will make the argument that we're still like a religious country. And you, you could probably hone in on middle America and make your case valid. That's not what the entertainment industry hones in on. And that doesn't seem to be the the uh, aesthetics of pop culture whatsoever. If you even go to like Korea, if you go to Japan, which everybody has an idea of in their head, like Blade Runner, right? There, <laughs> there is still the element of like Christianity that's blended in there. And even somewhere where, where, like Korea, where you will have neon crosses on buildings and whatnot still. They just integrate that into modern society. Here, not so much. New York City, not yeah. so much at all. You'll see bigger Scientology buildings usually. Mm-hmm. Um So it doesn't work. It does kill like the spooky demons religion element of the horror genre where it's not as effective. Paranormal activity was probably the last like vestige of that that was effective and popular at the box office. And even that wasn't really religious. They went into the occult in like witchcraft with that. Right. Um, So, yeah, I think something like House of the Devil maybe is one reason that it has done it well. But at the same time, I don't think anyone was. Well, I wasn't scared. It was more of a, oh, that's cool what they're doing with this. You know, the way that they showed it and the way they revealed it was cool. And you also had but to make not that some... a period piece. That's the thing, too, is yeah, because 1980s America is very different. And it's also still kind of yeah. poking fun at the satanic panic culture of the time. Um, mm-hmm. But also offering, well, actually, you know, there's, there was something maybe to this, which is usually like the case it, w- with shit like this. And I think that's something with Rosemary's Baby as well is there is actually something to maybe be concerned about here. Uh, and, you know, they just upped that to an intense degree. Yeah. But um, on, on the note of Chinatown, did you guys have anything else interesting to share about your thoughts on that particular film? Um, yeah. Do you, you guys notice the zits on that man? On the- yeah! All of records. What the fuck was that? That took me out of it a little bit. That was a guy was so who did not Peter get enough Jackson. makeup that day. Yes. <laughs> yeah, just a couple of postulating just. Okay, but that guy is in the sequel, and in the sequel he's got a he's got a broken jaw. Hmm. Oh. I didn't I didn't notice him in the sequel for whatever reason. That that must have slipped by me. Remember the dude with the with the teeth, and he's talking like this, and he's like, "There's a scene where I think Jake goes to the records hall, the hall of records again." And the guy's got his teeth like this, and he's talking like this, and they're all silvered over. And and the and the, the secretary's like he had his jaw broken by so and so or something. And I think it, I think that's the same guy. That is a that it, I, I noticed that today when I watched it. I was like, what? Why has this guy got these two? Are those? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Huge it was kind of horrific in that <laughs> world that they didn't really show you anything like that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of body horror by Polanski, I guess. Sure. <laughs> just... yeah. 
<laughs> I think I think if if there's I think that's a it's a good movie to watch now for people because the 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 temperature's so high. And I would I would particularly recommend this to anybody on the right, any any Trump supporters who feel cheated, they feel left out, they feel like they that they're helpless. It's like watch Chinatown, man, because it's all, all fucking Chinatown. It's all fucked up, and no matter no matter how you try to do something good or 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 whatever selfish. You know, Jake. Jake is he's inspired to do this because of selfishness. Because he wants he got he got fucked over. He got he, he looks like a fool, and his, yeah. his entire inciting event like it's like him going. I, I need to, to to prove my name wrong, and and in the end he ends up doing exactly what he did in Chinatown, which is just fucking it up even yeah. more. And, <laughs> That everybody just ends up miserable, including himself. And uh, it's a it's a great story about about power, about about how trying to confront it is meaningless. And if Jake just kept to taking pictures, I mean, look, Jake is dressed. His his fashion is impeccable. <laughs> Every suit more he gets wrapped up in it, all of his suits are getting destroyed. Like every yeah. single thing's got blood on it. It's got all over it. They keep getting destroyed. He himself, his nose is getting ripped out. He keeps getting destroyed by this, by trying to go up against power, being destroyed by this. And um, it's a good kind of lesson to to, to learn again. It's like, you know, to taking pictures of people cheating on their screwed. Yes, he winds up so destroyed that it leads to uh, the two Jakes. Sorry, do you want to give your Twitter handle? And uh, podcast name again, Anthony, because you you cut out right around that. Oh, okay. Uh, it's um, Anthony. T- it's at Anthony T. Cisco, and uh, that's S I S C O. And the podcast is on on SoundCloud, and it's called Slothcast. S L O T H Cast. And uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate uh, being here today, and I thank you so much to uh, Lorez and Hans, man. <laughs>